Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tamara Gondor podcast. That is me, where I have the privilege of bringing to you everyday innovators from across the globe. People who are out there just making it happen, thinking differently, tackling those challenges head head on finding new opportunities. I love the people I interview. They're so amazing. And I know today's going to be no exception because this is someone I know. And I know that some of you are laughing out there. I've gotten some emails from you of like, how do you meet all these amazing people? Well, I guess when you live a life kind of on the road and kind of connecting with different people, you have the privilege of meeting a lot of cool people. And this one, somebody else, I believe, we'll have to dig into the story later, but somebody introduced us, but it's going to be an amazing interview. So let me tell you a little bit about Robin and her everyday innovator style uh, before we introduce her. So Robin is an inquisitive instinctual. So here's what that means. And I know this from all of our conversations with her, that inquisitive is all about innovation and the questions, not the answers. So there's a lot of digging. Well, how comes? Well, why? If you're an inquisitive out there, maybe you're a little bit known for poking the bear because people see your questions as challenging, but that's really you innovating and thinking deeply about a subject. Then the instinctual side is the gut feeling. And oftentimes with instinctuals, they can't explain why they know what they know or why they picked the choice or the decision they're making. But it's not because they're reckless or careless or don't take the facts in. It's actually because with instinctuals, it's a more circuitous path. So most of us are logical, A to B to C to D. Instinctuals are more A to B to X over to Y, back to X over to L over here. And they kind of bring it all together to create that more connective thought. So the magic in that combination of inquisitive and instinctual is Robin brings deep connective innovation to the table. So with that, Robin, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to interview you. Tell the world who you are and what you do. I am beyond honored to have this conversation with you. Um, So I am Robin Glickstein. The way we met is many, many years ago, I think mm, over 15 now, Probably, I had wanted to be part of something and I had tried once to become part of it. It didn't work. And then a couple of years later, I tried again and lucky me, you were on the other end of the phone. Oh, you gave me an opportunity. And from there, we launched into supporting each other along the way. And from you, the fact of how you just spoke about being an inquisitive instinctual is what um, validated something I could never put my finger on about who I am and the way I work in the world. So I just have to thank you, Tamara. Had I not met you all those years ago and had you not articulated and shared with me what you observed, I think I would be in a very different place in my life right now. So currently, I am on my second arc, as um, Arthur Brooks is now talking about in his new book, Strength to Strength. So as an inquisitive um, instinctual, I'm always reading and listening. So for the last 25 years, I did consumer research. I was on this side of the desk asking questions and having the privilege of hearing people tell their stories. 
well, here I am. It's time for a change. And that's not an easy thing to make. How do we make change um, further on down the road? So I have an only child and she has launched and it's my turn. So I am in the process of evolving, so to speak, to my next arc, which is voiceovers. Ah, it's crazy. So what that means is I am taking classes, I'm being coached, I'm engaged in the process of learning how to use my voice to help other people tell their stories. I've been listening to people tell their stories, and now I want to learn how to help them tell them. So um, that's what I'm currently doing. All right, Robin, I have so many thoughts. First of all, <laughs> let's start by saying thank you for reminding me of how we met. It's been so many years yeah. that, that I, I, I thought somebody introduced us, but I, I forgot about that phone call, but it came back to me as you were talking. And what a great example of, first of all, you never know who you're going to impact, but second, you also never know who you're going to meet that you're going to get value from in return. And I think we have one of those relationships where it just has gone back and forth over the years. Sometimes you've needed more. Sometimes I've needed more. And it just, I feel very fortunate to have you in my life. We just, we just constantly go back and forth. I love it yeah. so much. Yeah, me too. Thank you. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is you said something that I think is really important that you said you're on your second arc. So you started with consumer research, which is basically looking for insights and ideas, right? For brands and products to grow their business, right? You sit and you listen to consumers talk about their needs, their problems, their stories. And now you're doing voiceover, which sounds drastically different. So I'm curious for you how you went from one arc to the next arc. Like if you were to summarize, particularly that in between, that jumping off point, what that was like. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not a straight line for me, right? Because I've never been a straight line, which is something that I have had to balance in my life and to make peace with. Because I'm surrounded by a lot of straight arrows, right? Come from a family of lawyers, my husband's in finance, voof. Um, so um, I took, you know, as, um, as my daughter was in high school, I really started the process to begin to think about, well, when she graduates and goes off to college, and then she goes through college, how am I going to sort of track along? And I just... Um, I started to look at ways that I could begin to uncover things that I enjoy. Where do I light up? And the ways that I did that was I journaled a lot. I read some books. Uh, what books did I read? I read um, one of my favorite, Transitions by William Bridges. Um, the other one, the one by the guys from Stanford. What's it called? Brothers, that one. Which one? The Heath Brothers, that one. Uh, David Kelly. Oh, um, mm, I don't know the book. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't remember okay. in the moment. In any event, so I read a lot, and I started to journal. I also reflected on things I had done in the past. So, very long story short, I lived in Cleveland for three years, and I worked at NPR as a volunteer. And somebody quit, and they gave me an opportunity to do the news and traffic. Okay. So that was something I got to use my voice in. And then I went to graduate school and um, I wanted to get a degree in software and design for kids. Um, and that's another story. But I ended up doing the voiceover for a lot of my classmates' final projects. 
So using my, oh, and when I was young, I was in PR. And in those days, you had a right to the editor, and then you were to follow up with a phone call. And the whole thing was getting through to the editor and then getting the editor to buy your story, so to speak, and then, um, you know, print it or put it on TV or on the radio or whatever you were pitching and getting that editor to remember me, I had to use my voice. So little nuggets along the way that I uncovered through, you know, my own internal research. So there's two things I want, I want to, um, there's two things that I want to just take a moment to pause on Robin, because I think they're so important. And I know they made me kind of light up a little bit as you were saying them. And I think it's going to give a lot of people a sense of ease who are listening. One is you said, I'm not a straight arrow, right? And I just had to come into the fact that I'm not a straight arrow. And I'll just, I'll tell you something very funny is uh, I used to do a lot of hot yoga. I don't anymore. But I used to get so annoyed because everybody's yoga mat was perfectly lined up and their and their poses were perfectly aligned with the mirror. And my yoga mat was always crooked. Like, I don't know why, but no matter what, like I was like four degrees off all the time. And it used to really, it used to bother me. It used to really bother me, actually. Like, why can't I be like everybody else in the class? And then one day I had this realization that, okay, my yoga mat's off, but I, I'm in line with my yoga mat. So I'm doing the poses I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not off. Right. Like, but my, my yoga mat just looks a little bit different than everybody else's and that's okay. And when you were talking about not being a straight arrow and being surrounded by straight arrows, which is fine. Right. And great for them. But that recognition that you're not one, I think is really powerful for a lot of us to just realize like, Hey, I'm not a straight arrow. And guess what? That's actually okay. Mm. And you know, my friend, you are actually one of the people who helped me come to peace with that Uh-oh. because I think I said to you once, I feel bad. I didn't go, or I don't know it this way and this way and this way. And you said to me, you know what? You have a gut and you gave validation to my gut versus my head. And it's like, you know, sometimes somebody says something and it sticks with you and it changes the way you look at things. And that was one of them for me is that's how I kind of came to some peace around it, it's this, it, whether it's your head or your gut, they're both to be held and honored. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that right now, all the research shows that the mind gut connection is actually really strong in our bodies. And we just didn't know it for the longest time. So yeah. it's kind of this interesting thing, but, but also I think you're, I'm not a straight arrow is going to do that for people out there. So I wanted to thank mm. you for bringing that up because that is sure that not. yoga mat experience of like, wait a minute. Okay. My yoga mat's skewed, but it's in the direction I need it to be. And I'm going in the direction. So why am I so worried about everybody else's yoga mat? Oh, such a big one. Worrying about everybody else's yoga mat. I can write a chapter I mean, Robin, on how many, that. How many hours have we spent comparing ourselves to uh, other people or frustrated by somebody else's failure, success, whatever, right? So much. And it's actually, let me, I, I was going to talk about the other thing I was going to mention. I'll get to that in a second. Let, let's dig into this for a second. What does, what do you think comparison does to your personal creativity, your growth to you? Totally squelches it. 100%. I think, I just heard recently, somebody said that comparison, is it robs you of joy or something like that? I mean, I'm the queen of comparison. Um, And I will tell you though, one of the things as I've gotten older, 
that I have learned is that everybody has a story and you don't know what somebody's story is. And so while I'm so busy comparing myself to their outsides, I have no idea what their insides are. And it's in the inside that I have begun to give myself some grace so that I can do some of the things that I would like to do versus some of the things I should or am supposed to do. I find too that that when I stopped comparing myself to other people, particularly in business, right? Because you know my world revolves around very few things, really fitness, my family and my business, right? And family being my close friends too. But that, that's really my world. I've narrowed it down to things that matter to me. But in business in particular, I find like, oh, that person's always traveling and every, they're posting all the time and it's so glamorous. And you know, I, I had to come to terms with the fact that the business I want to build is a different business than a lot of the people that I'm comparing myself to. Well, here I am comparing myself to people I don't even want to be. And I think we're <laughs> all in that trap, don't we? We're yes. comparing ourselves to people that at the end of the day, I don't even want that life. Yes. And actually, you know, I thought a lot, I've been thinking about that because I've been reflecting on where I've been and where I am and how I thought I was supposed to be on a certain track and how I started down that track and it didn't work out for me. And I ended up someplace else. And the blessing in where I ended up has been the story of the last 25 years, right? Doing consumer research that afforded me the opportunity to raise a child, to participate in working, and to meet thousands of people I would never have met if I had gone a traditional route and sat in an office and done A, B, C, and D. I think oftentimes we expect our path in life to be very clear and obvious. And we also, I think, assume that whatever goal we set out in our 20s should be the same goal in our 30s and in our 40s. And it's not. Your, your priorities change, your life changes. You said in a minute ago, a little while back when you kind of were sharing the story, you said, because I'd asked you about how to get to voice, how you got to voiceovers. And you said all these little nuggets of experiences that you've had along the way. And I actually think all too often the mistake that we make is we don't listen or pay attention to those nuggets. We dismiss them as we're trying to find what's new. Mm. But the answer to what's new, I think, is often in the nuggets that we've already experienced. We just don't know it because we're not looking at them in the right way. And you have, you're such a great example of that, of really listening to yourself and listening to your nuggets to then figure out kind of what the new path is for you. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, 
and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. I want to I wanna flip it a little bit and ask you about, um, to share a story or a time where you've done something innovative that's helped you break through, create those, uh, those new opportunities for yourself. Well, I think that one that I can reflect on is that um, speaking of being a straight arrow and things we're supposed to do, I was never a very good student. What can I say? I just, you know, um, and what does a good student mean, right? I never had big grades or whatever a good student does. So I don't know nothing about that, Robin. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So um, in my 30s, very long story short, I had an experience as a docent in the Children's Museum. And I decided I was going to go back to graduate school. And I was going to get a degree in technology and education. I wanted to create software for kids. And I had been doing marketing. And so the only place to really go um, was Harvard, right? Like, seriously, Robin, the graduate school of education where they launched Sesame Street, that was it. When I tell you I graduated from college with maybe a 2.1, maybe, like (laughs) just barely by, by by the smile on my face. So I applied. I didn't get in. Surprise! But I called and I said, I really believe I belong in this program. And the woman at the other end said to me, this is what you need to do and gave me some advice. I spent the year doing what she needed and or what she recommended. And then I used a picture of my experience with this young boy at the Children's Museum that had inspired me to even apply. He drew a picture, I think I have it somewhere, of, we used the software. He was a tall African-American boy. He was around 10. I'm 5'2 Jewish with the hair hanging in my eyes since I was 13 (laughs) years old. He drew a picture of him and of me. And we talked about this software that we had used that had to do with prejudice. And he says to me, what do you know about prejudice? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm Jewish. And so he drew this picture tomorrow. And it said, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. And it was him and it was me. And I used that picture on the cover of my essay. And I wrote to the story when I reapplied. And I got in. I, with the 2.1, in my 30s. I mean, if you had met me when I was in college, you wouldn't have put a dime on me. 
So I think that using my creativity and my life experience in a different way, instead of just writing some essay and printing it out, I used the picture as a metaphor. Okay, the crazy part is that that picture, how can I say this, foreshadowed work to come and the way that I worked in the future. And I had no idea at the time that that was going to happen. So I just have to say, Robin, this might, first of all, I've never heard this story in all our years. Second, I, this might be one of my favorite examples of being an innovator. And let me just tell you a little bit about why. So first of all, you got the no. First of all, you dare to apply. Let's start with <laughs> chutzpah. Yeah. So for all, yeah, it's total chutzpah. So for all of us out there who were like, I'm not worthy of whatever that goal is, that promotion, that relationship, that business idea, being an entrepreneur, whatever it is for you, know that you can, you might just have to go about it differently. And I think, Robin, your story is a great example of that. So number one, dare to believe that it's possible. And number two, then you took no as different. Okay. So it's a no right now, but I'm going to keep at it. And you never wavered from the goal. You just went about it differently. And I love that you called them and said, like, I belong. <laughs> right? Again, more chutzpah. And, and again, a reminder to all of us truly of whatever that big goal is we're going after, that we absolutely deserve it. I think what holds a lot of us back, me included, is, oh, I'm not like, oh, I'm not worthy of that. Like, that's not, like, I'm not worthy of that goal. So I, I will, like, I'll, I'll choose something smaller. You know, you could have I mean, Harvard is like the pinnacle, particularly in that field. And like, you went for it. Like, I just freaking love it. So I just, what a great lesson for all of us out there. And I also, there's a little nugget in there. I just want to highlight for a second. And I promise not to get on my soapbox about this is like, yes, do grades matter? Of course they matter, right? It's, it's a test of how you performed, but what, what's that? Is it Einstein who said, if you judge a fish by its ability to cr- climb a tree, you'll think it's dumb or something, whatever that I, I'm bothered, right. you know, but, yeah. but I think for some of us, grades aren't an indicator of what our capabilities are for a lot of us, actually, particularly in the traditional system. So to, to recognize that, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is just because maybe you didn't look successful in the past by the way you were judged, doesn't mean you can't find that success in the future in a different way. Right. Can I also though say to you that I have tried that in other times of my life and it hasn't worked. Mm, tell me more. So, you know, I wanted to work for a company. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember their name now, right? At the time, it seems so big. Um, I, and it's when I was living in Cleveland, they made children's toys, like big plastic toys. And I tried my best to get in there and to use those skills to get myself in there as well. And it didn't work. Um, and I also once tried to get on, um, oh my God, what's wrong with my memory right now? Um, QVC. I thought, oh, it would be fun to be a hostess. And I got an interview, but I never got beyond it and it didn't work. I mean, there are lots of times it didn't work and there are times it has as well. So I think it's really also important because we can compare ourselves and we hear the story of, oh, I did this and, and it worked. But what about all the times I did this and it didn't work? I think those are important to honor too. Well, let me ask you this about that. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you're right. It doesn't, I've had many times where I've gone for it has not worked at all. Um, what lessons did you get out of that kind of 
that pot of like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, lessons you got. I think the lesson at this age and where I am right now is, okay, you know, maybe um, it's not meant to. I'm not meant to be there. And I can let it go a little bit more easily. Um, so I think that it's kind of softened the blow for me through the years. In the beginning, it was hard. There were a lot of no's. And there were things I was supposed to do that I didn't do. And I ended up doing other things. Um, but it's only in retrospect that I've been able to say, not meant to be there. Like, I, oh, I met, I was with someone the other day. I had no idea her husband sat on the board of IDO. Okay. Talk about wishing I had the courage to go for something and I never did. To me, can you imagine having ever worked there? Never had the guts to apply. It's funny. Never, I have a, never, never knew her it. husband was on the, on the board. I mean, I could have, I could have tried. Isn't it interesting? Like sometimes I think opportunities are in front of us. And we don't even see them or we don't go after them uh, or we self-sabotage. We're like, oh, I, I don't, I don't like that. But I, I want to go back though to what you said about it before I ask you my next question. It is that I think often, I think people who are successful don't have fewer failures. I actually think they have more, but what they have is a kind of a, I don't like to call it a thick skin because I don't think things bounce off necessarily, but you get more practiced at dealing with the failures. They're, they don't seem, over time, the failures when they happen don't seem as painful and big. I mean, I had a few times where I went for it in my, in my 30s for sure, and it didn't work out. And I thought it was the end of the world. I was like, I'm over. It's done. I'm never going to have a career, right? And here I am. So I, I think that we learn over time to pull the lessons out of the failures and to understand what it means and not take it so personally or so hard. But I think that takes time of just hearing no's, hearing yeses, hearing no's, hearing yeses, right? And just building that up. So on this topic, I just want to flip in and ask, what's a challenge that you faced and how have you overcome it? Um, well, I think along the lines of what we're talking about, the biggest challenge I faced is letting go of what I thought I should be doing. So, you know, I went back to graduate school, like I mentioned, and I wanted to get a degree in technology in education, and I did. And I wanted to design software for kids. And in my software design class at the end, um, we were at a party at my professor's house. And he said, oh, my God, Robin, you know, like your presentation was phenomenal. Um, but you did five minutes of software and 10 minutes of soft shoe. And I, everybody else in my class had these huge software projects. And mine was this big. Although I will tell you, Tamara, that my idea that I did I now see in the world and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, right? But we'll talk about that later. So George says to me, you know, HTML is not your, not, not your language. You know, you'll croak behind a computer. You should be in front of it. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I just got in, did this whole year. Like, what am I gonna do? So um, I was pretty devastated. And um, I had also had a personal setback at the time. So not my glory days. But one of the things I do believe is that if you need to listen, and when I hear things twice, I pay attention. Two people, completely different parts of my life, mentioned somebody that I should talk to. Talk about being intimidated. This guy was a professor at Harvard Business School. And I'm like, I cannot call him. He's a professor at Harvard Business School. I can take my call. Exactly. So, um, but they encouraged me and I did, could not have been a nicer man. 
And I went and met with him. And he ended up actually hiring me that on the spot and putting me in his lab at the business school. Wow. His name is Jerry Zaltman, and he does consumer research. I didn't even know what consumer research meant. But Jerry, hearkening back to my earlier story about using my picture to get in, uses pictures as metaphor to elicit thoughts and feelings from consumers on their subconscious. And he taught me his methodology. What were the chances? And then in there, I met Randy, who also worked for Jerry. And then my husband got a job in Denver and we were moving. And Randy said, I'm going out on my own. And I have worked and been in touch with Randy for 25 years because she went on her own. I moved to Denver and she hired me on a project basis as needed. I didn't have to be in the office. So my challenge of I didn't get to go to Mattel or Disney or Microsoft or some of the places my colleagues and my friends were going, but I fell in with Jerry and I fell in with Randy. And that created a career that enabled me to do some things I would never have been able to do. Raise Addie, participate in my community, have some time to like develop some other talents and skills that I would never in a million years have been able to have. I think sometimes our greatest setback is actually our greatest gift. We just don't always know it at the time. How can we know it? That If, if we could bottle that. <laughs> Man, how do you recognize that? Like, here it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I appreciate that story because, I, you know, you went after this passion, you did it, and then the passion, the, it's like your ladder was was on the wrong wall. I talk about that a little bit in my career when I climbed up the corporate ladder, got to the top, right? I was being groomed to take over presidency of this company, and I'm up there, and I'm like, oh shit, my ladder's on the wrong wall. Like, good for me, but uh oh. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Ladder on the wall. Yeah. And I just needed to move my ladder. So I moved it. But I I think that we don't, sometimes we get there and we don't realize like, well, this is actually not the place for me. But then I think we, we get a little set in our ways and we dig our heels in and then we don't move. I think what, what I love about your story that I hope we all really hear is that you have the openness and the willingness to adapt and to change and to and move with the new opportunities that were presented to you. I think sometimes our setbacks hold us back as much as they do, not because there isn't another opportunity around the corner, but because we're too set in stone to make the changes we need to make to pursue whatever that, you know, offshoot of the path, whatever it took us to. Um, So I, I, yeah, that's a lesson out of your story that I just kind of, it just kind of clicked for me that like, Hey, when you have that setback, be open to what it really could mean for you in a, not necessarily in a rose-colored glasses way, in a positive way, but like maybe it's taking you down a different path. And understanding why we can get stuck and dig our heels in and giving ourselves some self-compassion around that. You know, we get these messages and we have to really sort of dial into what the message is and maybe that message needs to change. Maybe we need to, you know, old-fashioned pick up the phone and, and hear a different hear a different message. Do you think we dig our heels in because we're afraid of what that change might mean? Or it's because, you know, it's hard to think that all that stuff you've worked towards isn't the stuff you should be working towards, right? It hurts a little bit. Why do you think it is? Why do you think we get so dug in? I think I get dug in because um, I should myself. 
I should be doing this. I should, 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 should. And so then I dig my heels in to prove that I can, or I'm, you know, that I'm worthy, I guess. Um, Those shoulds are a killer. For sure. For sure. I, when I hear myself say should, I really try and stop now and be mindful of that and say, really? Okay. How can we try this a little bit differently? But again, it's taken time. I'm not in my twenties and thirties anymore. I'm far beyond. I wish I had this in my twenties and thirties and I try and impart some of it to my daughter, you know, and I can project it onto her when she wants to make a change. I think, Oh, you can't make a change. You haven't been there long enough, but that's an old paradigm. We live in a new world. You know, it's so funny. I have those same conversations, you know, because my boys are now teenagers, right? So I have the same conversations of, they're like, well, I'm shifting this, I'm changing this. And I'm like, what? You need to pay your dues. And I'm like, oh my God, Gen X, or stop it. Like, totally different world. Let it go tomorrow. Let it go. Yes. Um, You you had said open to listening to messages and um, kind of, you know, looking at those nuggets. What does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? Well, I think it is to um, listen for those messages and to seek the nuggets um, in whatever ways that I can. Um, I want to, I, I, I'm deathly afraid of living a vanilla life. And to me, a vanilla life means just kind of flat and doing the same thing and like not bringing anything to the table. Um, And so I think to be an everyday innovator, it means to be taking in things around me, to, you know, listening to conversations or having conversations or reading or um, exploring new ideas, watching something, take, you know, like I'd love to watch movies because I don't just watch the movie, but I want to see what are they wearing? What's the music? How are they decorating the room? Like Nancy Myers? Oh my gosh, I could rewatch her movies over and over and over. So I think that to me, being an everyday innovator is taking a little bit of everything from around me constantly. That's totally the instinctual side, by the way, because then you have all these dots that you connect in new and different ways. I love it so much. <laughs> and, and I really appreciate what you're saying about um just being open to new ideas. I think we just get, we, we put blinders on and we, we put our innovative mind on in the times we think we need it, as opposed to just having it open and receptive all the time, having it open and receptive all the time. And then when you need it, it's there already, right? Versus having to pull it. So I love how you said that just always. What are some of the things that you do, if you thought about your daily habits and routines to feed that, what you were just talking about? Mm. Um, well, as I mentioned, I'm a big journaler. And um, am I allowed to stand up like while we're talking? Yeah. So I want to show you that one of the things I do is um, I make my own journals. Oh, I love it. So I, I make, and I have them all down here, right? Oh, and they're all different. They're all different. So I think about my intention and then I make a I make a cover on half a piece of printer paper. I cut it in half and I decoupage it with words and pictures, whatever speaks to me. And then I take it to Kinko's and I have it laminated. And then I bring printer paper, they cut it in half and they bind it. And I write and I collect pictures and thoughts and cut things out and things I've seen. And I keep them in my journal. 
or like things you've taught me. I write it in my journal and then I can go back to it and I can remind myself. So that's a very big piece for me of the way that I find that I innovate. Um, And then I listen to podcasts like yours where other people tell their stories and you do such a great job of, of having folks around who have stories to tell that I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And then I write them down in my journal. Um, I walk a lot and I like to see what people do, which is so silly. I walk the same path every day, but um, people change like the system, but like the pillows on their front porch. I'm like, oh, I would never have thought to put purple with green. And then I go home and I move stuff around. So I walk, I, I, I'm in my head, but I'm also in the world. So there's a couple things I want to say about this, Robin. One is um, I'm the same way. And I love to walk a neighborhood as it starts to get dark out. Cause then you get to see how people decorate their homes. Inside you look in the windows. I know Ken keeps saying, Robin, keep walking. And I'm like, no, no, I'm like, I'm the worst, right? I'm, I'm always not- looking in like, oh, they have yeah. flowers there. Look yeah. at those orchids. I don't even try to hide it anymore, but, but I, it's inspiration for me. It's not because I care about like, who that like? I'm not judging how they live their life. I'm like, oh, I would have never put those things together. Well, that's art. Like, so I I get inspired. So I totally get that. The thing I just want the world to know that's so amazing about Robin's journal, and I'm going to do that because what when you were saying, uh, when you were talking about how you make your journal, it's really custom, right? From the kind of the ground up. Yeah, I started to realize that I really struggle with journaling because I never feel connected to my journals, and I always feel like they're not right. Like I just I feel like there's a disconnect. So then I don't want to write in them, or what I write is kind of bleh. And so I love this idea of creating it, the journal you want. Maybe I'll feel more connected in doing that. Um, because, yeah, I just, I don't know. I've never found a journal that I find works for me. Can I say one more thing about the journal? I actually used it as a tool in my work, mm. right? So I would travel to a project. And the, one of the truths that I'll be vulnerable and tell you is I used to get really nervous before I worked. It's a lot of pressure to have a conversation and have all the people behind the glass watching for me. So I would get nervous and my journal, I would take it with me on the plane and I would write in my journal. I would cut stuff out what, and it would help with my anxiety. And then on the way home, I would write about how it went so that I could reflect the next time and learn something from the time yeah. before. Does that make sense? No, totally. And also that way you're not just getting stuck in your anxiety. You are you are then going back to it and sharing what happened after, which is usually a great experience, right? Right. Somebody said something or I had a win or, you know, and I put that down so I can go back to it. And that was for me a way of also innovating yeah. internally. I love that. And I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go make a journal. I'm going to see how that goes, but I love that. I just love that idea of it. Cause like I said, I always, I've always struggled with the, I love journaling as a concept, but I've always struggled with how to apply it in a way that actually works for me. And I love this idea too, what you're just saying of like, you get your anxiety out on paper too. You're nervous before a meeting. You are worried about something maybe right before you go to bed, getting all those thoughts out of your head. I'm notorious for waking up at two o'clock in the morning, mid stress thought. Like, what is that? Like most of my brain was like already thinking about it before I even woke up, but getting all that out, but also going back and reflecting on the stuff too. So that you don't just get stuck in anxiety, right? You actually move it forward. I love that. Right. And using, I mean, anxiety is there sometimes to help us. Yeah. 
not mm-hmm. always to hurt us. And I would keep playlists on my iPod, on my phone, and I'd plug in on the plane and everybody was stressed out on the plane, but I had my music in, I had my little bag of pencils, and I always carried a glue stick so that I could rip something out and glue it and yeah, it in from the magazine or from something along the way. So the journal isn't just writing, but like in the work I did that Jerry taught me, it's using pictures to elicit thoughts and feelings as well. So I think you just gave us all a whole new way to think about journaling and I love it. So the next time I email you, Robin, or send you a text, it's going to be a picture of my journal. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. So, but I hope for all of us out there, I would challenge us all to rethink journaling and to apply this technique that Robin's talking about. One is create a journal that really speaks to you that you love. And maybe you buy one and then put your pictures on it. Maybe you do what Robin does and start from scratch and laminate it, whatever works. But then also use it as a stronger tool to minimize anxiety, reflect on what actually happened using visuals to pull out those thoughts and ideas and those feelings. That's incredible. So Robin, thank you for that. I can't believe we're out of time. The last question I have is personal, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? <laughs> um, when I'm bored, I write backwards. Oh. What and, that um, and for me, one of the things that was surprising to learn that about myself is that when my grandmother passed away and we were sitting at the dining room table, my mom was doodling and she was writing backwards, but she does it in script and I do it in print. Did you know that though? I had no idea. Oh. So I write backwards sometimes. And interesting that it was in the family already. No idea, right? And that she does it in script and I do it in print. And I don't think people even write in script anymore. (laughs) I'm not sure people write in full sentences anymore. So Robin, thank you so much. This has been just so wonderfully, as I knew you would be. That's why I wanted to have you on. You're one of my favorite people in this world because every time we talk, I feel like not only do I learn something from you, but I also, you're one of those people that makes me feel like I, you pull stuff out of me too, that I didn't know was in there. And I think that's a really wonderful gift to give other people in this world is to be that person, which you are, that makes them realize the things that they're capable of. You know, that to me is like, that's the ultimate in not just influence, but an impact too. So thank you. Mm, thank you. I'm so honored to even hear you say that because that's what you do for me. Ah. Mirror, mirror on the wall. <laughs> Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listeners, listens bigger impact until next time